When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Well, welcome back. We're to part two of our holiday recommendation saga series. <laughs> Bonanza. Uh, travail. Uh, we're going to do more recommendations. As always, bookriot.com slash listen. You can find the links to what we talk about also in your show notes in your podcast player of choice. I will list all the books that we talk about, though, as I said last show, you're on your own for figuring out what book they were an answer to <laughs> necessarily. Go forth and click from there. Okay, I think if we're on the TikTok, it is my it's your read for this okay. one, and then I will give the my first to Sally. All right, this listener is looking for novels about angry moms for herself and her mom friends. This past year and a half has been brutal on caretakers. Say it again, listener, um, and it would be nice to see that reflected in fiction. They've read a couple of nonfiction books about this, including Fed Up and All the Rage, but would like to see some of the sentiments represented in a narrative. What do you have, Jeff? I've got one pick, and it's a little more horror than I think you're looking for, though it's related to one of your picks, which is something I had in mind as well. That's allegory for mom pain, I would Mm -hmm. say, on the whole. In this book, there's a mother, a daughter, and the daughter may or may not be a monster, <laughs> demon kind of a person. How, how do you know? It's more of a allegory than we need to talk about Kevin, frankly, which is which treads somewhat similar ground. But I think this is a real allegory for what does it mean to be a parent, a mother, especially? What have you done right? What have you done wrong? What's impossible to know? What you, do you know? What are your fears? What are your hopes? All getting wrapped up into a very, very scary, terrifying, relatable metaphor of what we fear as parents. Um, And it's Baby Teeth by, I believe you say, Zoje Stage, uh, S-T-A-G-E, first name Z-O-J-E, as always, in the show notes. But it's a little more spec fic horror than maybe you're looking for, but I think that's the same way to get to the itch you are trying to scratch. Rebecca, what what did you come up with here? Let's see. I had Want by Lynn Steger Strong, which is a novel that hits both the mom rage and some uh, like marital rage about a partner that's not showing up to do what this woman feels he should be doing. Other family complexities. I think it would ring a lot of the bells for the ways that the last couple of years have been brutal on uh, on caretakers and on mothers in particular that just amplified the ways that living in this society in capitalism and patriarchy is always brutal um, to women in those roles. So I think that's a good one to look at. This is a nonfiction pick, but I think would be worth your while is Why We Can't Sleep by Ada Calhoun. Um, She's writing particularly about women in Generation X who are approaching menopause, but a lot of it is about not the biology of menopause and not being able to sleep, but all of the things that are going on in women's lives between motherhood and career and partners and just being a woman in the world um, that 
lead to real rage and angst um, at that time of life. Then I polled our contributors for some other recommendations, and they suggested, also in the realm of fiction, Afterbirth by Elisa Albert, The Hollow Inside by Brooke Davis, and Night Bitch by Rachel Yoder, which I think is the one you were probably referring Mm -hmm. to, Jeff, about a woman who, a mother who thinks she's becoming a dog um, that has been on the list of stuff I want to get to but haven't yeah, gotten to Yeah, we yet. may have to do a mini round. We, we have to maybe circle, commit ourselves to read that because I really want yeah. to, but it, it seems to keep getting pushed and maybe a little bit of a flag in the sand would help us both get there anyway. Yeah, I'm down for that. So I think you that's a rich field. Maybe Jenny Awful. Um, there's some good general angst there, but if you're looking for particularly stuff about um, motherhood and it being a real source of anger. Um, those are good starting places for you. Maybe pause for a second. I think these books are going to come that are more COVID. We mm-hmm. just haven't had enough time yet. We were talking about the mm-hmm. sentence last time. And that was pretty Johnny on the spot. And really, it ended November 2020, if you remember. That's where that book yeah. ends. It's in the COVID mom slash parent struggle continues apace. Um, and I think we're going to get more of these. I certainly hope we do, because this is a particular experience that needs multiple reflections, right? Uh, it's mm-hmm. going to need multiple cracks from different points of view to try to wrestle artistically with the unprecedented experience that many people have had uh, over the last year. So anyway, I, it's just a little too quick to have something that's about being a parent in COVID. Intimations by Zadie Smith was the other one. It's like, that, that's the other COVID one I really liked. Yeah. It's not about being a mom in this particular way, though, though Zadie Smith, I believe, mentions it there, talking about her daughter, but not in the way it looks like um, you're looking for here. Yeah, that was the thing that got me thinking about Jenny Awful, was that like weather is sort of framed around the upcoming Mm -hmm. 2016 election, and it came out in 2019, um, that if we got a, if Jenny Awful is writing right now or in the next couple of years, it's probably a novel that deals with the domestic issues of COVID. Um, And that would be her or someone like her. That's a take I'm I'm ready for. Yeah. All right. This one's my read next. Let's see. This person asked us not to use their name. Um, They and their husband are both bisexual and have recently watched shows like She-Ra and Owl House. They love the idea of LGBTQ stories that don't have to center on homophobia or on coming out. Any book recommendations like this? Um. Speaking of things that are entering the the orbit of maybe good for all time zones, yeah. general wrecks. Yep. The Casey McQuiston do two book canon. I think I would put it on there. The most recent one was One Last Stop, and the one in Red, White, and Royal Blue. I think is a little bit. It's certainly more popular. I think it might be a little bit better though. One Last Stop has its pleasures as well. Michelle, who doesn't really do this, will go back and read particular scenes from Red, White, and Royal Blue that she really likes. Both of them are LGBT plus stories. Um, One Last Stop has a bit of a more of an ensemble of a variety of characters in a New York setting. So that speaks to me a great deal. Um, I don't know for this one. I think you, you couldn't go wrong either way. But Casey McQuiston, if you haven't checked it out, check out Casey McQuiston. That's that's my uh, that's my recommendation mm-hmm. here. That's a great one. Um, from new fiction that came out this year, With Teeth by Kristen Arnett is about, uh, is narrated by a lesbian woman uh, who's raising a kid with her partner. They're going through the same kinds of midlife 
struggles and reflection and strife that uh, people of all genders go through at that time of life with their partners. And it's just very grounded in like, here's domestic stuff with characters that happen to be gay. Um, I think that would be a fun pick. It has some little weird moments that made it outside of what just normally happens in domestic fiction. And I found it to be uh, really fun and creative. Um, I did a Google on this and then was delighted to find that Book Riot has, uh, some of our Mm. writers have covered lists particularly about um, bisexual fiction. And one of the ones that that I found that I'm going to read super soon, and it's coming out on Netflix starring Millie Bobby Brown, is a book called The Girls I've Been by Tess Sharp. Uh, Mm. here's, Here's the pitch. Nora O'Malley is the daughter of a con artist who targets criminal men. She grew up as as her mother's protege, but her mother fell for the mark instead of conning him. And so Nora has to pull the ultimate con, which is escaping from her situation. Uh, And so for five years, she's been like pulling off, trying to play normal, but now she's got to dust off her skills because she has three problems. The first one is that her ex walked in on her with her girlfriend. And even though that they are all friends, the ex who is a guy didn't know about this new girlfriend. The morning after he finds them kissing they all have to have to meet to deposit fundraiser money that they've raised at the bank and it's a nightmare that goes forward from there because right after they enter the bank two guys start robbing it so Mm. the banker like they're in a bank robbery they're getting held hostage but she's also navigating a complicated situation with her identity Um, and then I know that Talia Hibbert's uh, romance novel sort of contemporary rom-coms are super popular Mm. um, among book riots contributors and readers in general and take a hint, Danny Brown, uh, in particular, deals with a bisexual protagonist. So I think that would be worth a look um, for both of y'all as well. Sounds good. Let's see. That means it's my read. Yes. Uh, Actually, quick sponsor break while we're in the early part of the show, and we'll come back. Today's episode is brought to you by Flatiron Books, publisher of 888 Love and the Divine Burden of Numbers by Abraham Chang. So this is an interesting love story. It's great for fans of Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow and High Fidelity. It's set in the mid-90s at NYU. And it follows young Wang, who has gotten the advice of love through Chinese numerology from his uncle. So he believes that he will have seven great loves in his life. And then he meets Irena in 95. And she's like the best. She's brilliant, charismatic, quick-witted, funny. They fall in love. But the thing is, she's number six. So if he is to have seven great loves, does that mean his time with Irena is going to come to an end? So this is a love letter to Western pop culture, Eastern traditions, and being a first-generation New Yorker. Make sure to check it out. And thanks again to Flatiron Books, publisher of 888 Love and the Divine Burden of Numbers by Abraham Chang for sponsoring this episode. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. All right, here we go. Hey, guys, I thought about being nice and getting a wreck for someone else, but 
eventually decide that I deserve to give for me. Go <laughs> yes, you. Yes, you do. So I have what may be a weirdly specific request. And here we go. I want any recommendation you have for books that retell ancient legends or epics in modern ways or from from diverse voices. The types of books I'm thinking of that I've read before are Oreo by Fran Ross, which is a wonderful book, underrated. Please go out and read that for other people. That's Jeff's parenthetical, not Stephanie's, um, which retells the story of Theseus, but is instead about a half-black, half-Jewish woman, young woman in a short story stage play by uh, Anticone by Beth Piet. Pietote, which I don't believe I know myself, mm-hmm. which retells Antigone but is about a young Native American woman trying to give a proper burial to the remains of her ancestors that are stored in a museum. I know about Meadowlands by Louise Glick, but would love any recommendations you have for books that retell myths and epics and feel like myths and epics themselves. Hope this isn't too difficult and feel free to use my name. You're double dipping here, Rebecca Shinsky. Look at you. <laughs> I am. And this is like a surprising one to be double dipping on. But Wake Siren by Nina McLaughlin, which I mentioned in the previous episode, is a retelling of Ovid's metamorphoses from the perspectives of the female characters. Mm-hmm. Um, and it feels very fresh. It's very sharp. Um, she goes particularly for the ways that uh, women are often victimized or put in situations where they lack agency or power or control over their circumstances in uh, Ovid's work and sort of in mythology writ large and gives real power uh, to those characters. And then recent, I think just in the last couple of years, Home Fire by Camilla Shamsi is a novel that's a modern take on Antigone. And I did not know this when I sat down to read it. Like Mm. whatever year it came out, I was reading a galley of it and just like sort of got into the groove of reading this book. I really enjoyed it. And I was like, something about this vibe feels familiar. (laughs) And I went Googling and found several interviews where it's like, yeah, this is a modern rework of Antigone. Uh, So I enjoyed it as just a novel in itself. And then finding out that it was a take on Antigone uh, sort of added a layer of richness to it there as well. I, it made me wonder how many other people have just read this book and had no idea. <laughs> but it works on both levels, so I'm happy to recommend that. Um, let's see. I'm going with... This was a, a BR fave... What? When does it come out? Oh. Boy Snowbird by Helen Oyemi mm. is my pick for this, which is a not a modern retelling because it's set in the 50s of Snow White, set in Massachusetts, that takes the idea of whiteness and beauty and turns it on his head to be about whiteness and passing and blackness and beauty, but also seeing yourself and mirrors. And I thought this was a fantastic, real, a really fantastic work. And I haven't been as enchanted with some of the other Oyemi since. I guess really only it's been Ginger, but I didn't like it as well, to be honest, as I liked Boy Snowbird. Um, White is for Witching, I believe, was a book that came out right before that. And I haven't gotten to pieces this year by Helen Oyemi. So I, I'm not sure. There's been several. Like, yeah, what's what's not yours is not yours. It was good, but there's something I found very... And some of it is it's your first one. You didn't know what to mm-hmm. expect. A writer you don't know. And doing something with something familiar and turning it on its head. I think Boy Snowbird may be almost exactly what this person is looking for. And I wouldn't be a little surprised if they haven't read it already, but I hope you haven't so that I can recommend it to you and that you will enjoy it. As much as I will. Hey, look, gingerbread is a one ninety nine on Kindle right now. If that's something that's interesting to anybody else <laughs> out there, and you're hearing that in time, I mean, I guess the, the the other ones that aren't mentioned here, I mean, Circe was a giant book. I mean, I just mm-hmm. assume that if you you do this, then you know. But I I didn't want to be like the Circe, but also on the off off chance 
that Searcy by Madeline Miller wasn't on your re you know on your list. I got to assume that's implied here, but just just in case it's not, let me make sure we know about Searcy. Good looking Madeline out, Miller. Yeah. Okay. Uh, let's see. You're up, I believe. Okay, let's see. This is from Morgan, who is looking for, let's see, she's more of a sci-fi fantasy romance reader. Uh, this year, they're shopping for a, a best friend uh, who they were talking about reading the new Kevin Kwan book, Sex and Vanity, and it came out that the friend loves it very much, but is afraid to read it too fast, lest she, lest she not have anything else like it to read after. Oh, what a relatable feeling. <laughs> and so Morgan has said, oh, we cannot have that, uh, and has proceeded to try to find the friend other read-alikes um, they found their way to a book riot list of books like crazy rich asians and a few of the books on there seem to be in the vein of what she wants but it's less about the opulent rich asian people part and more about other factors in kwan's writing and morgan got the friend to nail down what she liked about crazy rich asians which is contemporary setting it's lighthearted and comedic popcorn reading but still kind of smart about a world that she hasn't had experience in and it's an ensemble cast um, a small romance plot is great but she doesn't want books about two people banging and this is also really good parameters Uh, and morgan has said here that uh, this is not the genre that they're familiar with she's found some likely candidates for this like dial a for aunties anxious people where'd you go bernadette harlem shuffle uh, and the thursday murder club which we talked Mm. about on the previous episode but is wondering is this even on the right track (laughs) i feel like i'm wandering in the dark a little bit uh where should morgan go next Two things before I get into my answers. One is we're getting more, I want crazy rich Asians. That's now a thing people ask for. We've got Mm -hmm. two on this episode alone. I see it all over the place. People we know in our own civilian lives love this book who are readers, but they're not listening to this show. Let's put it that way. So I find that extremely interesting. That seems to have broken through. I mean, I know there was a movie and I think there's other movies coming out in this series. At least that's what we've been told though. COVID has thrown a wrench into that, I'm sure. So notable there. Here's another thing I want to say. Is this, is okay if we use it? Yeah, Morgan. I think these bullet points you put together here are are very helpful. I think this is a cat. Whatever this is, yep. a billion people want this, and we mm-hmm. need a name for this. Rebecca, can we spend a minute? What, what is? What are we looking for here? What is I think this? This Gilmore is up- Girls, but of books. This is what we want, sort of, right? It's upmarket commercial fiction. Like but it's smart. the smart. Co- yeah, yeah. It's well, that. Co- it's upmarket. Like it's smart and fun, and that's the thing that literary fiction. I think often. That's the difference. Literary fiction is smart, but not often fun. And someone gets murdered at the end. <laughs> yeah. Or right. like, you know, uh, this sort of upmarket ensemble cast. It's You could see the movie adaptation of it, but it's not cheesy. You don't feel pandered to. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I've, I'm looking at your picks here, and I think you've got really good selections. But I think this, if we called it... Um... Uh, there was some, we talked about this in one context on the site at one point, and someone came up with a name that was close but not right. But happy fiction, smart. Like, what if you could make the West Wing into a novel? If you could make some <laughs> of these, like, where it is, you learn, you feel your your brain feels engaged, not just your feeling, and that you want that, and you want mm-hmm. it to be funny. You want good characters. You want good dialogue. And I think these people, this kind of book actually is less about the plot on the whole. It's the dynamics and the relationship between people. That really is what people and they want to they want to hang out with they want to hang yeah, out in this world and you want to feel good hanging out there. 
I think these books are a good hang. They're, they're, they're a good a, hang. They're a good hang. It's a vibe where yeah. it's not about a person. It's not literary fiction of people mostly sitting around thinking thoughts about their life. And mm-hmm. it's not super plot driven where all that matters is what what is the next thing that happens. It's about the connections between the characters, the relationships, the way that they talk, the situations they end up in. You have to have people doing things to get yes. comedy. <laughs> But they're not. But if they don't do them well, they're not going to die. They may just lose their job, right. or you know, not get the promotion, or and, the bakery might fail, or whatever else. Right. <laughs> yeah, and know. comedy on the page, like good, smart comedy on the page, I think is one of the hardest things to do. And it's why we spent probably like the first five years of doing this, having people be like, "How do I get something like Where'd You Go, Bernadette?" Like yeah. these things are very tough it's it's really tough to find like a well-written novel that makes you feel like your brain is plugged in but also you're not working too hard and they're letting you laugh at something or feel lighthearted. it's just kind of a magical thing but i think i think we can call these good hangs good hangs i like that and a couple of things that prevent them from being more there being more of them i think there's a couple of them one is they don't want awards mm-hmm. they, they just don't because they're going to lose to things where, well, they're going to lose to things like Underground Railroad, and, and probably rightly so from an artistic point of view. But in terms of the hang, sometimes you want something different. The other is, I think there is a marketing problem because it is not a dad book. It's not a thriller. It's not a psychological thriller. It's, it's not something like this. They don't, se- they don't sell huge numbers. Like, where'd you go, Bernadette? We talked about a million shares, but it was not a huge seller. It, right. it just wasn't. And even Crazy Rich Asians sold pretty well, but it was not... A million, it's not crawdads. It's not something with a murder or a mystery or a twist or a page turner plot driven thing. Those are the things that tend to sell. So if it's neither going to win awards nor sell in book, it's sell in bulk, it's kind of a, a hard marketing problem. And then people want different things from these kinds of books. And I think you're right. It does, commercial fiction can do this, but commercial fiction in a different way can be melodrama pretty quick. And this is mm-hmm. not this. This right. is not what we're looking for here. So my picks. I'm going to throw Red, White, and Royal Blue again. It's a little more romance-heavy, but it's set in a political world. That's why I'm going... All these are very specific location, I think, is part of what she's mm. going for here. A world she's not experienced in. It's a political world. Here's another one. This is the this is the 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 um the thing you bounce off. Where do you go, Bernadette? Yep. <laughs> Bernadette is two Amethyst cats pajamas <laughs> by Murray Helena Bortino, which is set in this really wonderful neighborhood. I think it's in Philadelphia. Is that right? Do you remember off the top? Of Ooh, your head? I think so. But it's centered around the jazz club, which is the cat's pajamas, and it's the the main character is this little girl, the young girl who's the right age to be smart, but not so old to be jaded or no too. She's she's winningly naive and open-hearted and smart, and it's her interacting with the world and her, her folks and the musicians and the clientele there, and it's really adorable and winning, and I would read 70 books like this myself. <laughs> Another one I think you eventually read, Evie Drake Starts uh-huh. Over by Linda Holmes. It's a romance, but it's also kind of not about that. It's a small town in New England, and there's someone who's single, and there's a baseball player that's coming in town, but it's really about Stars Hollow. That's, I mean, yep. I've said this before. I, I would do a million of these. And I'm going to double dip again, Storied Life of A.J. Fickery by Gabriel Zevin. Similar idea, bookstore, interesting cast of characters. Things go pretty well. There's a little bit of tension, but no one's get their head cut off or get turned over to the CIA or end up in jail. All... I, I think this is a this is a category that's under the books may be out there, they're under marketed, they're mismarketed, because even in a target rich environment, if I were going to Powell's tomorrow and asked to look at the shelf out things that are out there right now, 
I wouldn't find any books like as as far as I know, this is not a book I'm finding. Yeah, I'm thinking more about what to call these, uh, along with being good hangs, and it feels like there's something to like. Some of these are like prestige TV, but like because to be prestige uh, TV, you still have to yeah. be engaging and entertaining and make somebody want to sit down and give you an hour of their life every week. And so I think like Evie Drake is on the end of like a really good network drama. And mm. then some of Crazy Rich Asians, if it were TV, or Where'd You Go Bernadette, if it were TV, would be like an HBO series yeah. that has a little bit more of a tone to it. But you're right that like the lack, it can't be melodrama. It can't be like easy laughs or slapstick. It's smart humor. There's some mm. the smarts to it that make it the good hang. Um, and ensemble cast, I think, is one of the reasons that books yes. like this don't necessarily win a ton of awards or get widely recommended because my experience as a book recommender is that just as many people who love an ensemble cast and you and I are among those people <laughs> we love mm-hmm. a gang the gang gets back together and they all tell us their stories um, are people who do not want their fiction to rotate between a bunch of different voices <laughs> yeah and, that's fair and I think that makes it tough to sell um I would give your friend Taylor Jenkins Reid's debut novel Daisy Jones and the Six <laughs> It does all of these things. It's popcorn reading, but still smart. It's set in the world of 70s rock. It's an ensemble cast. There's just enough drama to like keep you going. It's also really funny. It's okay, not totally contemporary, but the 70s are contemporary enough. If your friend is open to audiobook, it's even extra phenomenal on audio, but about this rock band in the 70s and all of the relationships between them. And if she likes the pieces that sort of moved in and out of everybody's relationships and how they overlapped of Crazy Rich Asians, that's just a really good one. Um, J. Courtney Sullivan is excellent at this, any of her books. Um, and I would just read the blurbs and figure out which one is the best fit for your friend based on you know what she's interested in. But all of J. Mm. Courtney Sullivan's books move between ensemble casts and have some funny moments and just really sharp observational humor about the ways that people interact with each other. Um, if your friend's open to a little slightly weirder twist, We Ride Upon Sticks by Quan Berry was one of my favorite books of last year, told in a plural narrator voice um, from the perspective of a girls um, field hockey team that make a deal with the devil in order to get a winning season. But they do it by writing their names in a notebook with Emilio Estevez's face on it. And like it's it's packed with humor and 80s pop culture references. Uh, Let's see, I have so many of these. Um, Perfect Little World by Kevin Wilson is told from the perspective of a bunch of different people who all sign up for this experiment where a psychologist is trying to like create a utopia where families raise their children collectively. And of course, this does not go as well as they imagined it will, as no utopia does, but it's rich with observation and with humor. Uh, And The Wanderers by Meg Howery is about astronauts who are told that they are going to Mars. And Maybe you're not actually going to Mars, but it's a, this capsule world because they are just in their spaceship um, with each other, having relationships and dealing with sciencey kinds of things. It's like a multicast Martian kind of vibe. It's a pretty good hang that came out a couple of years ago. 
What about um, Wangs versus the World by Jade Chang? What do you think about that one? I think that's a great one. And I didn't pick it because she um, mentioned that this was already like on the Friends oh, radar. I, I missed that one. Okay. Well, there, that's that's yeah. how good of a pick I am and how yep. unobservant I am to also. <laughs> um, I'll capture that just so that people that are looking. Think, I think a lot of people are looking for these. Yeah. Um, yes. So I'm not surprised. I wouldn't be surprised. I would love for listeners to let us know. What would you call these books? <laughs> Elegance of the Hedgehog. Yeah. It's the same thing. Yeah. Same thing. It's a vibe, okay. man. It's a vibe. It really is. Uh, you're a read. It, Gosh, I cannot it's keep you. this straight. I cannot keep this straight. <laughs> My dad likes gritty rural, short, rural, rural juror. The rural juror. Short stories. Can't get him interested in a whole novel. He loved the Bonnie Joe Campbell collection, Steve Waddell's Country Hardball, and Den- Dennis Ray Pollock's Knock Em Stiff. He liked Ron Rash and Daniel Woodrell, too. Something gritty and rural in a short story collection would make him happy. Maybe something from a smaller press or something and get at a smaller bookstore. Mm. Thank you. Okay, this is a t- this is a tough, it is. Good, tough one. This is a tough one. Bonnie Joe Campbell, real hard to beat. She is just so wonderful. Yeah. Um, I really liked Half an Inch of Water by Percival Everett. I think Percival Everett is like just criminally underread and underrecognized. And Half an Inch of Water is a collection of short stories set in the West, um, moving you know between different ranchers and situations in these small towns. Everett is a black man, and so a black male writer in the West talking about cowboy stuff is also something we just don't get that much of. But it has that gritty rural thing that it sounds like your dad is into. Um, Some Googling also took me to Poachers by Tom Franklin. Uh, He's a wonderful Southern writer. His novel Crooked Letter, Crooked Letter came out several years ago. I really loved that. I have not read Poachers, but I really loved Tom Franklin's writing. Um, So I would check that out for your dad um, since short stories seem to be the thing for him there. What do you have here? Um, my fastball down the middle pick is the Wyoming stories. There's three volumes. The first one is Close Range. It's the most famous one. It, it includes Brokeback Mountain in that one, mm. So just so you know. But the third one is called Fine, just the way it is, and the middle one, I can't remember. But Prue, she's unbelievable. I mean, she's an unbelievable short story writer. It's in, you know, basically upper Midwest tends to be where she is. Um and these, I believe these are all set in Wyoming. All three volumes are set in Wyoming. They're really great. They're, they're wonderful. She's as good as anybody working in short stories. If you can stretch into a short book-length work, Boy Kings of Texas by Domingo Rodriguez is not a novel, so technically I'm not disobeying the brief because it's a memoir. <laughs> but it is set in a difficult spot in rural Texas, Latino boys growing up and what all that means. It's a small press, Lions Press. I read it a million years ago and it's really stuck with me. It's hard, it's tough, it's gritty, it pulls no punches really for anyone involved. And if you are going to try to expand out just in length, I feel like we might have a gem situation mm. with uh, with your uh, dad there. So take a look at that. Um, and see if maybe you're willing to put some of your reputation, reputational chips on the table and go a little bit all in there. Okay. This one's you. All right. Let's see. This is a request for themselves. We love this. Uh, I love introspective poetic memoirs about growing up in the rural South, our Appalachia. Think Rick Bragg, Tara Westover, or Dorothy Allison, because they remind me of my childhood in rural Maine. However, I've never been able to find any of those types of books set in the Northeast. Do they exist? 
I, you know, I couldn't be more thrilled. Have I talked to you about this book ever before? No. This one I have here? Okay. This is The Orchard by Adele Crockett Robertson. It's a memoir. Is it, I believe it is set in Maine. Uh, New England Farm. I can't remember which, which state it is. Anyway, it's New England. So <laughs> this is a stupid. This is a stupid preamble to this. But I was reading a book about apples. And I've told you this story before. Of course you were. Uh, the, the boring book, the, the boring, I, I found the zenith, the nadir of the Jeff Boring Meridian here. I bounced off of it wherever it was like, okay, too far. You've gone too far here. But I was looking in the bibliography of this boring book for other boring books. And, the saddest of rabbit holes. And, and I saw this book called The Orchard, which was, a, the one I was looking for was like a year on a particular orchard in Oregon or something like that. Mm. Kind of like a slice of life. Like this is what the apples go into. So I just wrote down The Orchard and it was about apples. And I got the wrong book and I read it. And I didn't know it was the wrong book. And it turned out to be this book, The Orchard by Adele Crockett Robertson. is out of print, I should say. You can get on Amazon. I love, I, I love, love, love this book. So here's the setup. Here, here's the real world setup. So Adele Crockett Robertson is the, well, the person who published this book is Adele Crockett Robertson's daughter. So when her, Adele Crockett Robertson's daughter was cleaning out her stuff, she found this manuscript in the closet. And mm. this is the central thing here. And it's a memoir in the 30s. Her dad had died, and no one else wanted the family apple orchard. She was a single woman, and so she tries to go back and run the orchard by herself in the 30s. And her daughter doesn't know this story. Adele Crockett Robertson went on to be a relatively well-known journalist in her town and have a whole other life. And the life contained in this manuscript her daughter knew nothing about. And it's beautifully written. It's tender. It's heartbreaking. I want to do an annotated episode about it, honestly. I had it in my back pocket of like, I want like books like this. I think it's a real gem. You cannot get it on audio. You can't get it on ebook. You have to go out and get a print used copy. And they're, they're still around there, but there's not as many. So act now. Because if we sell six of them right now, they may be gone. <laughs> so that's The Orchard by Adele Crockett Roberts. And I loved it. Please tell me you loved it too. I, I've thought, I frankly, I, I've gone this far. I was like, what would it cost for me to acquire the audiobook rights and make, oh, it, wow. and make it available on audio? I, I love this book. It's a, there's books like this all over the place. This is the one I found. That's, that's all I'm saying. This is the most effusive you ever get about I, I, books. So, I, and I've been holding it all in. You can tell. Yeah, like, I, I yes. didn't tip my hand at all about this. That sounds wonderful. And I love that the universe gave you this gift when you were just down a rabbit hole of boring books <laughs> about boring books. I was books. down a squirrel hole and I thought I was in a rabbit hole. <laughs> Oh, well, okay. So I'm not going to top that. But for our listener, I called in a favor from um, Josh Christie, who owns Print, which is a bookstore in Portland, Maine. He's been on the show before because I was like, surely if anyone knows about books like this, it would be Josh and the folks at Print. They have a whole section uh, of books about Maine. And so he gave me four recommendations for you. Um, Down East by Gigi George, which is sort of reported nonfiction, but she follows five girls as they come of age in one of the more challenging places to live along the eastern seaboard. The um, the subtitle is Five Main Girls and the Unseen Story of Rural America. Um, so you might pick up that. Uh, one is We Were the Kennedys, a memoir from Mexico, Maine by Monica Wood. Um, and the Wood family is a lot like um, many of their neighbors who are Catholic. They're immigrants. They're you know dependent on father's wages. Their dad suddenly dies on his way to work. Um, their mom and the four Wood 
daughters are set adrift and we were the kennedys is the story of how their family the town and then the nation mourn the kennedys and find the strength to move on while this while they as an individual family are also trying to do the same thing and of course the kennedy family had deep connections to Mm. maine Uh, there's loving and leaving the good life by helen nearing Um, this is the first in a series called the good life series Um, and helen nearing and her husband scott lived together for 53 years until he died at the age of 100 Mm. this is her testimonial of their life together and to what they stood for self-sufficiency generosity social justice and peace, uh, which is a lot of the vibe that I get when I spend time up in Maine. Um, I'm going to read this with a quickness. And I'm like, Josh and I have been good friends for like a decade. And I'm a little bit mad that he's never told me about this book about a woman reflecting on her 53 year long marriage to a man who lived to be 100. So we're going to have to solve that uh, off the pod. Uh, And then in the realm of also um, narrative nonfiction, but that would cover the same thing, he recommended The Country of the Pointed Furs uh, by Sarah Orne Jewett. Or actually, what are you doing? Okay, I mean, all right, fine, fine, fine. I know. So we'll list all those uh, for you, but lots of rich text, I think, to explore. You know, you can go down this rabbit hole while I'm figuring out if I really need to end this long friendship, because clearly, clearly I'm not as understood as I thought I was. Those are all those are all wonderful picks. But I have to admit, if anyone reads any of those before The Orchard, I'm going to take it personally. (laughs) I mean... Just you being that effusive about anything is very compelling. So if we sell six copies of The Orchard, one of them will be to me. While I was ignoring Josh's garbage picks, no, I'm I'm kidding. (laughs) I was was looking up how many print copies are available through Amazon. I think for a few hundred bucks, I could buy out the extant (laughs) available (laughs) copies of print. Also, the paperback is fourteen bucks, but a hardcover is nine dollars. I don't understand well, this. The, the collectibles from three—it's—it's it's wild. I—I sh- I, I almost kind of <laughs> want to write a check for five hundred bucks and own every extant copy of the Orchard. And then twenty-five years from now, you write a memoir about your life becoming obsessed with the Orchard. You know, there are worse ways to go, Rebecca. There are <laughs> Look, worse ways to go. I'm not judging. There's a, like right. the, uh, that would be. I would support that choice. Anyway. It sounds like a a good. Oh, I probably path. got to. I, <laughs> So I knew someday I was going to talk about this. Like, when are we ever going to talk about the orchard? But someone asked for a main coming of age story. And I was like, oh, ring, there ring, it ring, is. Ring, ring. There we go. Uh, okay. So this is my read then. Mm-hmm. Uh, hey, Jeff and Becca. I hope I'm not too late. We're getting late in the day here, but I'm looking for a book for my husband. The last two books I bought for him were big hits, and I bought them because they were recommended by Jeff on the podcast. Whoop, whoop. Good job, me. They job, were, you. which Michelle and Rebecca laughed at me for. The Appalachian Trail, a biography by <laughs> Philip Dineri. Both of you laughed at me. Uh, Michelle laughed at me again last night when I told her that someone wrote this in. So Lisa, we're going to have to go to war with these people if it ever comes to that. I hope you join me. <laughs> and The River by Peter Heller. In all fairness, Rebecca rightfully likes Peter Heller as much as I do. Yes. He loves camping in the outdoors, an academic history buff, food lover, and China, Taiwan slash Korea enthusiast. He worked with these cultures a lot in his career. He loved the Three Body Problems series and is currently reading the Aeneid for fun. So my question comes down to, if you were going to buy a book for Jeff for the holidays, what would it be? I've got to admit, this rocked my world. I spent way too much time on this, and you can see my answer is incomplete. I got completely neurologically short-circuited. I don't know what to do with my hands. Rebecca, you've got to start. This much flattery is just too much for your I, Midwestern I can't, soul. I cannot handle this. I'm going to have to go disappear into a cloud of misery. I mean, I took the easy path here, which is books that I know 
you loved and that we both that we both read so I can sign off on them. Um, so if I were traveling back in time to buy a book for Jeff, uh, I would one. give him Buttermilk Graffiti by Edward Lee. Uh, it is He is a Korean American chef who is looking at so the melting pot of food and what we consider to be American cuisine, what we consider to be cuisine that is not American, but what happens when people from other countries move to America and how their cuisines morph and then contribute to the melting pot of cuisine. It's a wonderful book, especially for someone who loves food and has exposure, I think, uh, to your, you said your husband has familiarity with Chinese, Taiwanese and Korean cultures. So I think that's a solid pick. Uh, Clara and the Sun is my my go-to just great read for someone who is sci-fi friendly. We said it's a sci-fi book for literary fiction readers and a literary fiction book for sci-fi readers. And if your Mm -hmm. husband can hang with the three-body problem, he can totally hang with Clara and the Sun. Um, Then just to scratch the camping and outdoors itch, because I also really loved The River by Peter Heller. And I read it because you recommended it. So just if that wasn't enough flattery already, (laughs) just continue. Um, The Adventurer's Son by Roman Dial. This one's a little tough, but it's a really compelling uh, memoir by a man who he and his wife raised their kids with this very adventurous, go-have experiences out in the world kind of spirit. And his son goes off to South America. Um, They don't hear from him for a while. He sends a letter that he's going to hike into the rainforest, and they don't hear from him at all after that. And it is Dial's memoir of going to uh, where his son was in South America to try to find him, to retrace his steps, to find out, is he alive somewhere? Was he killed? What happened? Um, This one would be a tough one for parents. I would not give this book to Jeff because Jeff does not do well with a thing, a parent story where a bad thing might happen to Mm. the child. But as adventure outdoor stories go, it's pretty compelling. Have Have you recovered? Are you okay? I have a note on my phone with the things I want to read next. And I'm not going to read them all, but indulge me if you will, Rebecca, if you think this is a good idea. Should I just shout out some of the things I'm interested in? Yeah, I, I haven't read yes. these, so I'm just going to... Okay. So if I am buying for myself, here's where I'm going. The first one I'm going to pick is not out yet, so it's in January. So this is helpful to everyone. Um, it's called Beyond Possible by Nims Perja, who has scaled the 13 highest peaks in the world. Ooh. And it's a mountaineering memoir. Boom. Done for both of us. Outdoors. It's not all Korea, China, but it's Nepal, Tibet. So we're kind of in the same area. So that would be one I'd pick out if we were out today. Let me give you some, another one that I'm interested in as well. The First Shots by Brandon Borrell. It's a narrative history of the COVID vaccines, the race mm. for a COVID vaccine. That is, I believe, is out now. Um, one that's going to be under my Christmas tree or not, I believe Rebecca's reading it right now, is Major Labels. Yes. Um, by Kenneth Sana, S-A-N-N-E-H. Khalifa, Khalifa Sana. I'm very much looking for that. Um, I have on, on audio ready to listen to Poet Warrior by Joey Harjo, who's a Creek woman who was, was maybe still is the Poet Laureate of the United States. Really looking forward to that. Um, bear with me. I'm going to give you three History of X and X things that you can <laughs> take or leave. One is The Art of Rivalry, which is basically the history of modern art in four friendships, betrayals, and breakthroughs by Ooh. Sebastian Smee. That's been out for a while. I was at the art museum the other day and it was out there. It's It's been out, but I've never seen it. Um, I am also going to be reading About Time, A History of Civilization in 12 o'clock. <laughs> about Time is a wonderful title for that. 
I can't say with a straight face, but here I am living my best life. The History of Civilization in 12 Clocks. Uh, Around the World in 80 Books by David Damrosh. A World History in 80 Significant Texts. Uh, let's see. Where else do I want to go? Uh, I'm sorry. In About praise, time. I know. In Praise of Walking. It's out now. Oh, that's so good. It's so it's good. good. I'm looking. Mm-hmm. Oh, look at you. Oh, so some of these are interesting to other people. Cool, cool, cool. <laughs> um, Black Nerd Problems. This is, I always like an essay collection, and this one is looking at popular culture through the lens of being a black nerd. I don't have the authors all in front of me. I'll find them later, so you can find them otherwise. One's called Women on Waves, A History of Women in Surfing. I'm into surfing books. If, if this, I can't even remember who we're talking about now, so if this person hasn't read Waiting for, by, um, Waiting, ugh, Come on, what's the Finnegan book, Rebecca? Oh, Barbarian Days. Barbarian Days. Waiting for the Barbarians is J.M. Kutz's book, uh, Allegories <laughs> of South Africa. Yeah, Barbarian Days by William Finnegan. Uh, I think that's all I'm going to give you right now. I think that's pretty good. Oh, Leave the Gun, Take the Cannoli, An Oral History of Making of the Godfather by Mark yes. Seal. Powder Days, a memoir of, of, of um, skiing. I'm going to read, this is dumb, but it's not dumb. It just doesn't sound like me, but here's the thing. I think you will. Sutton Foster has this memoir about crafting out called Hooked. Have you heard about this? I have heard about it, and I kind of wondered if you were going to pick I, it up. I, I, it's it's kind of weird and interesting. I like people's memoirs are about doing a specific thing over time, so I'm very interested in that. I'm also interested in a book called Tastemakers, which is seven influential women in the world of food um, mm-hmm. that got put together. Anyway, is that enough? Too much? I think, Did I not I do it? And that's plenty, right? I, I uh, went into a fugue state there. <laughs> I'll second your emotion for powder days because um, Josh, who I'm no longer friends with, uh, is a... <laughs> Josh and his garbage main wrecks. <laughs> he is an avid skier uh, and writes about skiing and said that powder days is the best book he's ever read about the experience. Is that right? Is oh, good. Ski. I'm mm-hmm. so glad. Yeah. And I don't know if I said that the top, did I say that the guide is out now? Peter Heller's new book is out in hardcover. It's also no, you just good. went straight into your fugue okay. state. <laughs> yeah. Just, so if you want to follow up on the river, the guide is very similar for good or for ill, I should uh, say. I'm never going to recover oh, from boy. about time. <laughs> just wow. It's like if Perd Halfley named a book. <laughs> History of Civilization at 12 clocks. <laughs> Genuinely excited for this. Live your life, man. Counting the moment. <laughs> counting the seconds. <laughs> of course you are. <laughs> uh, uh, let's see. Your read. Uh, let's oh, see. We got we a sponsor break. We got to recover. We need a second. I got to I gotta end this you... thing. I got a call coming up. Are we back? Yeah, we're back. Uh, okay. We, can, we have time for like two more. Do you have right. any of these you want to get well, to? This one's quick. Megan yeah. wrote in looking for graphic novel suggestions for a 12-year-old niece who loves um, Naruto and Hello Kitty and other manga but isn't well-versed in this area. Megan, neither are we, but Book Riot has a post called Manga Like Naruto. Yes. <laughs> and I will put a link to it or Jeff will put a link to it uh, in the show notes for you. Lots of suggestions there. That's as far as I can take you in guidance, but I trust our writers and probably anything in that post. Uh, is a good selection. I was going to recommend Barbarian Days for yeah. this next question for a person who's looking for a dad, um, a novel or a page turner narrative nonfiction uh, that has a lot of action and is more plotty than it is about character or language. He's like Stephen King. Uh, he mm-hmm. likes The Splendid and the Vile by Eric Larson. So that's some good variety there. And I was thinking Master and Commander is a huge series about being a 
man on a ship in the olden days. Uh, mm. My my beloved Bob enjoyed a lot of of those. Um, and Barbarian Days, I think, as narrative nonfiction goes, like it doesn't get any better than what William Finnegan does there and takes you right on to being on a wave, figuring yep. out how to surf. All right. Well, we're out of we we we're out of being out of our comfort zone with manga. So I hope, um, Megan, that list helps you out quite a big deal. I think I am now reading the next one. Um, hi, Jeff and Rebecca. I heard you had openings for a few more recommendations. This for recommendations for my dad. Surprise, surprise. Either a novel or a series of novels. A page-turning narrative nonfiction read. My dad is a huge fan of the Jack Reacher books. He tends to go for novels with a lot of action that are plot-focused rather than character or language-focused. He has enjoyed a few of Stephen King's more realistic novels, but tends to draw the line at anything requiring too much suspension of disbelief. He also likes narrative nonfiction, particularly those with a historical focus. A few recent hits have been Eric Larson's The Splendid and the Vile. Eric Larson, who is, um, I think, a, the, the charter member of uh, Dad Book Island, Eric Larson. Oh, yeah. And Packard Ride and yes. Say Nothing. I, it's a really good book, Say Nothing, by the way. I don't think I've ever talked about it in here, Say Nothing, um, about the troubles. I think it's that's the one I'm thinking of off the top of my head. Any recommendations would be appreciated here. Uh, Rebecca, we're back to we're back to Dad Book Island. I feel like a little bit. <laughs> One Barbarian Days, Barbarian Days. I wasn't ready for like nine mentions, but here we are. Another way for the yeah. surf for Finnegan. This was this was on my notes. Uh, I think I just think it's the right vibe for a dad who likes narrative nonfiction. It doesn't get much better in narrative nonfiction than William Finnegan talking about surfing and like how he became a surfer, but also the mechanics of surfing, what it feels like to surf. Mm. Um, I know intellectually that if I got on a surfboard and paddled out into the water and looked at the waves to try to figure out what the hell was happening, I would not be any more capable of catching a good one or even spotting a good one than I was before I read Barbarian Days, but I feel like I love I that am. point. I know exactly what you mean. <laughs> right? Yes. Like he he goes into such great detail, but not in the wonky way that folks can sometimes. This it doesn't feel like all the um whale hunting stuff in Moby Dick, yes. for example. It's not unnecessary detail. It's de- detail that like provides you with texture and helps you to drop right into the moment that he's describing. And he goes all over the world and he meets these fascinating people and surfing, as you can imagine, has quite a subculture. And he's there as surfing culture becomes a thing. Mm-hmm. And it's, I mean, it's just fascinating. It's one of the best books that you've ever recommended to me. Aww. And yeah, I loved it's it. Great. I loved it, it so much. Um, for the big series, since Dad likes a, a big series um, that tends to be plotty, I'm going to recommend my fella Bob's favorite Master and Commander series by Patrick O'Brien. Tall ships. They're like tall ships, men on ships doing things. Um, there's like 23 of them. Bob famously just like walks around our house going, he loved a battle and he loved a wench. And like, in, as far as I'm concerned, Master and Commander is a, like, this is a book series about dudes doing battles and wenches in the old days. And sometimes in that order, grog. sometimes simultaneously, <laughs> sometimes in yeah. parallel, sometimes in a series. <laughs> right. Yeah. That, uh, that came out a little weird, but I stand by uh-huh. it. Um, 
you know, drinking like grog and eating, I don't know, salt tack, whatever it is that they ate, hard tack, yeah. whatever they ate on ships. Obviously, I have not read all of these. Um, but Bob's a plotty series reader and loves to get committed to a whole bunch of books. And I have never seen him be as deeply devoted to a book series as to Master and Commander. <laughs> so I'm going to do that vicarious recommendation. Did he, Looks like you have a big Did he read all of them, by the way? Oh, he's read all of them, and then he has listened to most of them on audio. Anytime we go to the beach, like, he listens to them at other times, but his, like, I think peak Bob experience was sitting on the deck of a house at the Outer Banks a couple of years ago, just, like, watching the waves roll and listening to Master and Commander, (laughs) or one of them. You're going to go surf the waves, and Bob's going to go invade something. (laughs) If you're on the, you're yes, on the beach, yeah, you that's... both are just going to strike out and be wildly underqualified <laughs> for the adventures you're about to have. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to, I'll become, I'll just be out there like finding my zen and becoming one with the sea and he will be trying to conquer it. And that is like a pretty accurate representation <gasps> of our vibe. <laughs> there is something funny about barbarian days where it's like, there's no way that if I'm on a 15 foot swell off the coast of say Borneo, that anything good is going to happen. <laughs> But right. it makes me feel like it's plausible that I could too could be totally. out there enjoying it. I've got several <laughs> here. I'm gonna do, do front list, back list a little bit. More back list. Code Talker by Chester Nas. It's a memoir. Chester Nas, um, a Cherokee signalman during World War II. Probably this is something people know of using indigenous people in America, and I don't know if this happened in Australia too as well, and maybe some other places. Basically, there are not that many people that speak Cherokee. So if you get someone speaks Cherokee on one end of the walkie-talkie and someone on the other, you don't have to worry about encryption. You don't have to worry about the Enigma machine and the math and everything. They just don't know what Cherokee is. They don't have a Rosetta Stone. And so they became really important and useful in specific circumstances. But then you get, you know, the the prejudice, the not understanding, the this isn't my war, this is you know, all the other things that go along with it. And Code Talker is really, really good. I think if you if you got if you went into it a lab and created the dad book, you might come up with the Bomber Mafia by my Malcolm mm-hmm. Gladwell, which is about the culture of high altitude bombing during World War II. Really, just putting bomber and mafia in the same title is like dad book SEO show title. Even though we don't need a show title for this, and it's re- <laughs> and here's the other thing: it's really good. And here's the other thing: if you can do it on audio, it's even better because Pushkin Industries is the producer of this book, and they do audiobooks where the thing that Gladwell would have used in like an episode of Revisionist History, like whatever the clips, the sound, the production value, goes into the audiobook. So it has a, the effect of being like a really long, better, even better researched, produced podcast episode slash audiobook. Remarkable stuff. Really, really good. I bought it for my dad. Can give it no higher dad praise than that. Then if also like one of the, this is now in the canon of narrative nonfiction, Killers of the Flower Moon by David Grant, which is about a series of killings, murders on an Indian reservation. It's also, and I'm not sure if this is something your dad cares about, but there's a big Scorsese production happening right now with DiCaprio and Jesse Plemons and a star-studded cast that's being made out of that. Some people like to be, to, to, to use Rebecca's surfing metaphor, on the crest of the coming waves to see what's coming <laughs> and to say, I, I read that. Who who likes better than dad to say, oh, I read the book and here's how it was different and here's all the other details that go into it. So Code Talker by Chester Nas, Bomber Mafia by Malcolm Gladwell, Killers of the Flower Moon by David Cran. Okay, your read, I think. All right, let's see. This one is from a listener who she and her sister have recently bonded over their love of books and we are the highlight of their week. I mean, so, geez, pandering will get nice. you everywhere. 
Truly. Uh, she tends to read romance and contemporary, and Sister is more into literary fiction and thrillers. They're both in several book clubs that are expanding their genre pools, and we are both delighted to know that they have Beloved on the docket soon. Um, but they have a brother who is their your typical business school tech bro. He loves golf. He reads only leadership books. I mean, come on down, brother, because we read a lot of those here. Mm. And uh, they would like to bond with him over a book and show him that there's value in fiction. So they are looking for good recommendations, preferably on the shorter side, to show him their world. Um, this is tough. Actually, this is one of the tougher mm -hmm. ones to do. That You're trying implicitly to get them to do something they don't like to, to do. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll go a couple different ways. I would start with what about nonfiction by a fiction writer? If they like that, hey, there's this other thing. Colson Whitehead, ever heard of him? Yes. The Noble Hustle, which is his, well, his second nonfiction book. Colossus of New York was a series of nonfiction pieces, but his first and only full-length book of, of nonfiction about going to play poker in Las Vegas. And it is, it might... It's not my favorite Whitehead, but it's also not not my favorite Whitehead. I don't know what I'm trying mm -hmm. to say here. I know what you mean. Yeah, it's like it, it's mean. alongside, but it's doing something different. And if again, tech bros love poker. They just do. There's the high stakes. There's the money. There's the if just through sheer will, sheer, sheer will, um, data and luck, I too can be a billionaire and then wear ugly jewelry on my wrists. Um, so I think by ha by extension, there's topical interest. That might be a nice way of, of getting in there. And they're like, you it's know, really this dude has one. other books. And if he does like that, then you go, I think maybe zone one after that mm -hmm. is where I would go. Mm -hmm. And then from there, if he likes that, then you can kind of go anywhere. So Noble Hustle by Colson Whitehead. On the fiction front, I think The Hunters by James Salter, and I'll tell you why. <sighs> I'm jealous that you thought of this. Well, here's my rationale. Tell me if this makes sense to you. One is... It's about single combat in the air. So it's set in the Korean War, and it's a fighter squadron of Americans flying, I think, F-86 Sabres. It's the early days of jet propulsion, air-to-air um, -air combat, but it's also beautiful at the same time. Oh. It's like if Hemingway wrote about fighters rather than bulls, you would get The Hunters by James Salter. You can use mm -hmm. that because tech dudes also like Hemingway, even though they probably have never read him. There's also this piece of like, if you can like this, and it's short, it's easy to get through, has an enigmatic and beautiful ending. It has real like, am I a good guy? Am I not? Is something, you know, am, do I transcend the work that I do or I'm just subject to it? But also, you also don't need to even think about it on that level. It's just a beautiful book about doing something modern, dangerous, romantic, boring, and probably wrong. <laughs> at the same time. <laughs> so that's The Hunters by James Salter. Uh, you know, Salter is on my personal Mount Rushmore mm. of authors, and we don't get enough opportunities to recommend really him. Don't. So I'm really glad that you went there. Um, I latched on to the part that you mentioned of this, that we're, sisters here are trying to get brother to do something he doesn't want to yeah. do. And I would recommend, I think, splitting the difference that maybe he doesn't need to go all the way to fiction, but y'all don't need to go all the way to like tech leadership book either. And I think the best meeting place possible is Bad Blood yeah. by John Carreyrou. Narrative nonfiction, functionally true crime um, about something that is so wild that a fiction editor would have tossed it out. Um, 
Do you think that's fair? Mm-hmm. I think that's fair to say about probably one of the great cons of our time. Um, Elizabeth Holmes, the founder of Theranos, is on trial right now. So business school tech guy, if he wasn't following this story before, is probably following it now because he can't swing a cat at CNBC no. without seeing a summary of what's going on in the Elizabeth Holmes trial. Um, it's gripping. It is just bananas from the startup culture you know, VC funding angle of things. There's just so, so much to talk about. And it's deeply reported. I think it would make a wonderful book clubby situation for you all and your brother. Um, Related to that, The Accidental Billionaires by Ben Meserich is that this his telling of the founding of Facebook. Mm -hmm. And it's the text that the social network film was based on. Ben Mesrick, I think, is ideal reading recommendation for somebody who, like your brother who's into, you know, technology startups, business stuff, but probably wants to be latched into a really compelling story. And that can be a gateway to fiction when it's like, look, this this thing that really happened is so wild. Don't you want to read about other wild things that people can think of? Um, but Mesrick in general is wonderful. Accidental Billionaires is a really good read. Um, if you do want to stay in the realm of fiction, I wanted to throw one in there as well. So I didn't just like completely ignore the brief, as they would say on Great British mm-hmm. Bake Off. Um, Startup by Dory Shafrir is set at a startup in New York City. It's about um, a re- functionally a relationship between like a higher up at the tech startup who sends some ill-advised Snapchats to a junior associate that he was maybe having a relationship with and all the people around them. It moves between a bunch of different narrators. It's a fun read. Um, if you're trying to just get somebody into fiction, I think it might you know have enough hooks to go there. But honestly, I would go with Bad Blood for this situation. I think that's a really good idea. Um, startup made me think of another idea on the set in the world of startup culture version mm-hmm. zero by David Yoon. It's a thriller came out last year. I believe the setup is a group of like engineers, people that work in a tech company at various different companies have this idea to, I guess how to describe it. You know how in fight club, like the Tyler Durden's idea is to erase the credit record basically of mm-hmm. debts here it's the erase everyone's data record all their social media oh. all the data that's out there all their pics all their tracking pickles all their cook pixels all their cookies and whatever mm-hmm. and then basically start from scratch and build the internet anew out of it it does not go great and that's part of the <laughs> reading experience but it's a, i think it's the kind of one that if you are using the thread of like a business um career interest this spins out of that into some really interesting and plotty page-turnery places. So it's not like a meditation on the morality of anything, though it is that. It's very plot, very page-turner. You're going to rip through it. So that might be another way to go there as well. Uh, Let's see. Moving on. Jeff Rebecca, I love listening to your show each week. Well, thank you. I'm actually looking for a recommendation for myself. Right after the holidays, I planned a book fair at my local indie for my daughter's school, so I have a great excuse to buy a lot of books, as if I need an excuse. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> okay, this is uh, as specific as we've gotten here, I think, on the whole. I'm looking for a mm-hmm. fantasy that is more grounded in the real world. I love magical stories where the world of people surrounding the main characters doesn't necessarily know that magic is real. I love the Night Circus. I know the relax is non-existent, but I reread it often. Night <laughs> Circus, check, check. And The Invisible Life of Addie LaRue, as well as House in the Cerulean Sea. I wasn't a fa- fan of the Darker Shade. Yeah, Darker Shade of Magic series. That's like magic all over the place. You're lousy with magic and that mm-hmm. thing. I can get that. Thanks so much for your recommendations. Melissa, happy holidays. 
Rebecca Shinsky, you are up first. All right. Well, you're right, listener, that uh, there is really no read alike nope. for the Night Circus. <laughs> I this is the kind of magic that I like to read about. Also, um, it, yeah, it's I like that more grounded. It's easier for me to picture. Um, I really loved Angel Maker by Nick Harkaway for this, and it's like kind of magic but kind of just sort of fantasy mm-hmm. things that that happen um but it's about a guy named joe spork who is a clockmaker. first of all joe spork one of the great character names in all of fiction unbelievable stuff from and uh yeah he is a clockmaker or a clock repairer maybe both and he finds out that through this like underground world that he's part of the london underground is both literal and figurative here um that there's a functionally a doomsday machine Mm. that if the if the thing happens if the things get released into the world it like broadcasts everyone's thoughts and secrets and this has something to do with clock mechanisms and also there are weird trains and also there's a like 85 year old super spy named Edie Bannister who's one of the just most memorable characters ever um it's just a lot of fun and there's little secret codes built throughout I think that you would enjoy that it's not um like a gauzy kind of romantic vibe like the night circus has um it's a little grittier but I really really liked Angel Maker and if you haven't read the Magician series by Lev Grossman I think that's an interesting place to go next because it's set in the real world in our in our real world but magic exists um and those folks the magicians know that magic exists but they have a lot of life and a lot of interaction with like functionally muggles yeah. I guess, for lack of a better term. Um, So you see them in some magical places, like a Narnia-type place called the Netherlands, but you also see them, like, running around New York City, and they're, you know, you can't, like, cast your magic in public because what if people see you do it and then it's all spoiled um so that one might be i think uh, an interesting place to go here but i can see that jeff has nailed the recommendation <laughs> for well, this. This isn't, it's a little like cersei now this book is old enough now that there's a chance that melissa hasn't read this book i also think there's a chance that mm-hmm. she's like you you idiot who do you think i am like, i mean i don't you're, know you're right this is you're this is either obvious or it's old enough that she has but she didn't name there. it and she did name something mm-hmm. so i have to at least get into the air jonathan strange and mr norrell by Susanna clark which came out maybe years ago it is like it's i think it may be a the best example i know of of there's barely any magic because just these two uh-huh. dudes can harness magic mr norrell is a academic magician he's sort of learned it through these books he has this library and he's been studying his whole life and he can sort of do a little bit magic and just a little bit of magic is actually quite powerful as there's no other magic in the world jonathan strange comes along who has a natural felicity with the supernatural and so he's doing things right away that mr norrell has struggled for many years um to to master they go from a mentorship to a rivalry that has globe-spanning import um it it integrates with history insofar as that they're brought on board to try to fight napoleon as the english army so magic is out there and everyone knows who these two people are but they're only two wielders of magic in the known world and it it's great it's 800 pages long you can really get lost into it i've never read read anything like it i haven't read her new book Mm piranesi which people really like that's on my christmas break kind of savoring it to read on a cold and winter night i don't even know what's about i've that's the kind of thing, that's how I like Susanna Clark so much is 
She did so much beautifully with Mr. Norrell. I'm in for anything, and I'm just, I know the vibe that I'm looking for, and I hope I get it. And if you haven't read Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell, congratulations to you, because this is exactly what you're looking for. Yep. That's that's just right. Um, listening to you talk about that jogged my memory of Sorcerer to the Crown mm. by Zen Cho, which I think might also be a good one here. Um, it's pretty grounded in the real world. There's this group of people called the Royal Society of Unnatural Philosophers, and they are in charge of maintaining the flow of magic in England. Um, but magic has almost all dried up. Yes. And they are trying to figure out how they can get more access to magic and conjure more of it functionally. And one of the things that's going on here is that currently women are not allowed to practice magic. They think that magic is a man's mm -hmm. profession. Um, but Zacharias Wythe, who is the sorcerer royal of the unnatural philosophers, um, sort of ventures to this place called Fairyland, which is where the magic is controlled, to try to figure out why the stock of magic is drying up. And along the way, he comes into contact with a woman named Prunella Gentlewoman, <laughs> who may or may not need to practice magic in order to have magic come back into the world again. Um, it's kind of similar some of the vibes are similar to Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell. I think that your pick is the absolute right one there. But if you wanted something a little adjacent or just shorter mm -hmm. than 800 pages, Sorcerer to the Crown is a lot of fun and has a nice feminist angle to it. Okay. Uh, let's see. Oh, I, I, got right. out of my, is... I got out of my tabs. I'm sorry. I'm coming back. All right. Yeah, This I'll read this while you're finding yep, your way you back into the right tabs. Um, let's see. This is from Mariah looking for a book for her husband. Um, they got married this year and want to start doing the tradition, which I think you're talking about Yola Boca Flood, um, which, where you exchange books and finish them through the night of Christmas Eve. Um, she's a quick reader, but he's not. They were hoping that we would have a lead for a graphic novel that would fit for the season. Husband enjoyed Lumberjanes and the Adventure Zone series, but hasn't delved much deeper into the world of graphic novels. Also, novellas would be welcome recommendations. And then she's looking for a recommendation for herself that you alluded to, I think at the top of the previous yeah. episode, a wintry book, preferably set in Russia or Eastern Europe. Um, and, and she also wants us to know that she did pick up Gilead after the survey we did earlier in the year and really enjoyed it and also made sure to read Wedding Toasts I'll Never Give. Mm. Um, so way to butter us up, Mariah. <laughs> Um, yeah. So for both of us, we're going to the well of Brian K. Vaughn for your fella, but mm -hmm. different, different. I'm not going to steal Rebecca's thunder here, though. I've got to say, based on the comps, I think my pick is better. And I'll tell you why. I, I think you're right. Okay. <laughs> it's Paper Girls, which he co-wrote with Cliff Chang. And think of it as Stranger Things, but all the main characters are 12-year-old girls who have paper routes. <laughs> and that's that's basically Paper Girls. And here's the other thing. Let me, wait, let me check. Let me go consult O'Neill's razor. Okay, yep. Yeah. I'll check's out. It's all over. It's all over. You can buy one beautiful deluxe complete edition. It's forty-four bucks on Amazon. Makes a wonderful gift. I, I'm. It's eight hundred pages. Get it, Chris. Get your Icelandic book flood on, and you can just wallow around in it for a whole day. I'm so excited. I wish I hadn't read it, and I was getting this gift from someone. That's how excited I am for that. For you. Mm. I, I had to dig here, and I'm not even within the wreath, but the best I could do 
is The Witch's Heart by Genevieve Gornacek. came out earlier this year. It's fantasy. It's set in the world of Norse mythology. Someone marries Loki. Look, it's cold. It's wintry. It's always winter in Norway, as far as I can tell. And depending on where you are in history, Norway may or may not be a part of Russia, given where you are in space and time. So I'm calling it good. Apparently, it's really great. And it's uh, an import from the UK that just came out. I read the first couple of chapters just to make sure I wasn't like really, you know, delivering a stinker. I think it seems pretty good. So that's The Witch's Heart by Genevieve Gornacek and then Paper Girls by uh, Brian K. Vong and Cliff Chang. Yeah, Paper Girls is right to the just center of this, Mm. especially because of the Lumberjanes comparison. So props there. Um, I'm sort of woefully behind on my graphic novels. And so I went directly to the one that like if I had to read one graphic novel for the rest of my life, it would Uh be Saga by Brian K. Vaughn and Fiona Staples. And this is, I think... Hopefully there's a little extra weight to this for me because this is the kind of story that I'm not usually drawn to, like big space intergalactic situation. Um, But this is the way that they sum it up because it's impossible to try to do a a synopsis is that it's the story of Hazel, who's a child born to star-crossed parents who are from opposite sides of a never-ending intergalactic war. Hazel's fugitive family must risk everything to find a peaceful future in a harsh universe, blah, blah, blah. It's fantasy and science fiction. It's edgy. It's sexy. They take a lot of interesting risks. Um, There's just surprises around every corner or every page turn. The world is just weird and interesting and beautifully drawn. It was one of the first graphic novels, like helped me really understand why people love comics and what comics can do that pros can't do. Um, so if you want to just jump in and say, go, go straight for Saga. I'll say this. Saga is very splattery in all the ways that that means things. That's true. And just know, I mean, Mm -hmm. if you can handle Game of Thrones, you can handle Saga. If you don't like what some of the stuff that goes on Game of Thrones, you're not going to like Saga. But you might. Just that's information to take and decide if it's something for you. I think it's, I'm so excited. Jen and I were talking about on SFFEA a couple weeks ago when it was announced that that's firing back up. They're they're halfway done and they're going to complete the cycle. I think it's the most exciting IP that's not... uh, I think it might be the most exciting P that IP that's in currently an adaptation or not. It's fantastically mm-hmm. um, wonderful, surprising, terrifying, exciting. But I've fallen off the wagon because of the comic book thing. Because O'Neill's Razor hates this. Yeah. It's dull. It's in the corner yeah. there. I, I just looked at it and it's crying in the corner. O'Neill's Razor <laughs> over there. It doesn't like this at all. So I'm betwixt and between. I'm, I'm really trying to decide what my saga plan is going to be. Because there's part of me that's like, okay, let me just wait three more years or however, and let the whole thing be done, and then let's go. On the other hand, that's three years from now. (laughs) I think that's probably what I'm going to do, is when they say that they're doing the last run, I'll probably go back to the beginning and like start at that moment reading up so that I can be ready Mm -hmm. when the last ones are out, and then sort of wrap up the experience. I had the, the same thing. I started it way after many of the issues were out. And then once I caught up, I was able to stay current for a little while. But the sort of monthly or however infrequent uh, issues of comic releases was something that I couldn't yeah, keep up I with. Yeah, I hate to do single issues. So I was waiting for the omnibus collections to come out. But then I lost track because it'll be six months and then 12 months and 18. Oh, then it's two months and then I'm all over the place. So that's... that's <laughs> Only Saga's the only reason I'm even thinking about this more because Saga's that good. 
the friction of reading mm-hmm. it w- would have ground me down to a nub of indecision and apathy well before now <laughs> if it hadn't been so compelling the whole time. All right. The next two are ones I didn't have anything okay. for, so I'll toss yeah. them to you. Um, this first one is from Haley looking for a recommendation for herself for historical fiction like Wolf Hall and historical crime fiction like The True History of the Kelly Gang and His Bloody Project, hoping for some diverse picks and double points for works in translation. There is no historical fiction like Wolf Hall. So that's easy. There's nothing out there like that, in my, <laughs> in, in my humble opinion. So I'll give you some works in translation that I really like. So the translation one... 6-4 by Hideo Yokohama. This was a giant crossover hit about 10 years ago. It sold millions of copies worldwide and, and, so, and sold well in the United States. And I read it, even though I don't tendably read Japanese crime fiction. But this was <laughs> enough. And it's a doorstop. You re- It's a huge book. It's like I think it's like six or 700 pages. Long story short, a kid goes missing. There's no leads or anything. They kind of wrap it up. And then much later, like I think a decade or so later, someone kind of in the orbit of the case realizes that something was wrong in the official report of what went down, and it becomes rebuilding into it. I liked it, which means it was awesome, because this is not my jam. Um, But it was really popular there for a while, something you maybe already heard about already. To go more into the historical fiction, this is cheating, because it's not historical fiction, but (laughs) it's a book... People don't read anymore, though I wish they did. Darkness at Noon by Arthur Kussler, who was a Hungarian who wrote in German, because that's what you do as Europeans. And then, of course, I guess you would read this in English unless you, you, the original was written in German. So unless you speak German, you can't read it. It's like Kafka set in the 1940s, kind of right in the run up to and around World War II. And all of the place names are erased and all the, you know, there's no specific cities or names. But someone gets put on trial for something they really didn't do. And it's haunting and terrifying about authoritarianism um, and a specific moment in European history, especially, that's not just Nazis doing stuff. And it's not just how bad, you know, the gulag and um, the everything was, but really about the feeling of having the bootstrap of the the boot heel of authoritarianism put on your face and for a while, I think people thought this was going to be, that Kussler was going to be thought of like Kafka. But for reasons of history and temperament and, you know, just the, the vagaries of time, it really wasn't. And this was a real discovery for me when I was a young reader, that there were books like this out there about by authors I haven't heard of um, mm-hmm. that were doing something I didn't know could be done. So that's Darkness at Noon by Arthur Kussler and 6-4 by Hideo Yokohama. All right, team me up to get me out of here. All right, last one from Grace, who is a 19-year-old at UCLA and getting her degree so she can take the CPA exam. She says she's always wanted to be a public accountant, much to the shock and laughter of my friends. You know what, Grace? Live your life because we need accountants. And Jeff and I can vouch for how valuable good accounting is yes. <laughs> in our business every day. Um, you'd love to read, she said, a fiction book with an accountant as the protagonist and is not sure any of those exist. Grace, I was not either. And Googling didn't take me anywhere exciting. So I'm glad that Jeff is here for I us. I thought of Grace- one thing. I thought of only yeah. one thing. and Well, but it's a good author. <sighs> it's Graham Greene's novella it's like 120 pages called the loser takes it all 
And the setup is this dude who works for, he's, I think, an assistant accountant. May not even be a proper accountant. What is a private accountant, by the way? Like, I was certified. Is a private accountant, oh. is that me just doing my own books? Is that like the mafia I, dude that like wears the Maybe you don't have to be certified yeah, to do it. Anyway. Um, yeah, anyway. <laughs> that's, uh, that's, uh, I'm off the rails here a little bit. But it's, he is, is about to get married and then basically gets talked in by his boss to go to gamble in the Caribbean. Um, and it does not go well, loses a bunch of money, and then develops his own gambling system to try to make it back and take revenge on his boss that led him astray. <laughs> it's a weird little book. It's a strange book, but Graham Greene is worth reading. It's not very mm-hmm. long, so at least it's weird and short. And I don't know what to tell you. That's what I got for accountants. That, that's, all, that's all I have. I, don't, I was looking for a history of accounting. I haven't seen. Yeah. There's a book that I once checked out that's called double entry that was how the merchants of venice created modern finance but i have to say that even i could not spend 400 pages on the history of double entry bookkeeping <laughs> but that's one that's out there it is out there and i'm Vernon, the Ven- the viennese mercantile class the viennese that's wrong that's vienna the venetian mercantile class invented modern finance as we know it. it's a very interesting history that i will read one chapter about but i will not read 400 pages about but you might once you realize how weird the loser true. takes it all is, you're like, give me anything that's not this. Um, yeah. I would love our listeners to chime in if you know of anything else. I was surprised I didn't come across like a contemporary romance where one of the characters was an accountant. That just sounds like a setup that would be fun. Um, so y'all can let us know what we missed out on. I was even trying to think of this- movies. The only one I could come up with was there's the um, the dude in The Untouchables that can read the forensic data in Al Capone's book, mm. right? And he's like, we can get Capone on tax fraud. Like, that's the only yeah. accountant I could think of is Oh, well, there's someone. the accountant with Ben Affleck. Is that being an like, accountant? Is he actually, I've never seen yeah. him. Okay, he is an accountant. He's an accountant and a bad guy. Okay. And like, he does the books and also kills people. Yeah, all right. Well, anyway, so that's what we've got for you. And that, that comes to the end of our 2022 holiday recommendation show. Thank you all for writing in, trusting us with your time and attention and your interpersonal relationships. Sounds like some of you, some of you uh, uh, brave souls out there actually take this advice and buy it for actual humans <laughs> in your life, which, you know. Let us know how it yeah, goes. Let's, let's know how it goes. Unless it goes badly, um, <laughs> then don't. Rebecca? Thank you so much. As always, you can find show notes, bookride.com slash listen, or in the episode for the podcatcher of your choice. You can email us at podcast at bookriot.com if you've got feedback. And as of today, officially, well, really from the beginning of the show, the fall draft preview is over. And our next full episode, we will dive in to the results of the fall draft preview (laughs) and gear up for the spring. Looks like a pretty good crop. Have you done any homework yet for the spring? I am just getting started. I was waiting to talk to you about what's the cutoff for spring books. April? I think it has to be April because May books are clearly summer. Yeah. Okay. Right? So January through April. January that's through. right. We could, we, could do we, like, uh-huh. we could do Memorial Day if we wanted to, but that seems like combing with too mm, fine a brush. I think that's summer. Yeah. Let's do through April. All right. That sounds good. Okay. Thank you all so much. Have a very um, happy holiday for those of you taking some time. I hope you're doing well anyway, whether or not you're taking time or not. Rebecca, we'll talk to you next time. Happy holidays, everybody. 